after that accident. And, and so he continued to deal with health challenges. And in one of those health challenges, uh, the doctors had told the family he's not going to make it. So calling all the family. So they all came in. And there was a man from a, a, a United Pentecostal Church. I don't know if I can say that word here or not. But he, he was from a United Pentecostal Church in Springfield, Oregon. And he was good friends of the family. And, and he heard that this had happened. He said, could I bring my pastor to pray for Wilbur? That was my uncle's name, Wilbur. And so Brother Bob Elder brought his pastor, Pastor Jim Swank, who's, who's since gone on to be with the Lord. He brought him into the hospital room, and they laid hands on Wilbur, and Wilbur was up eating the next day. God worked a miracle for a bunch of unsaved people. Well, my dad and mom, who were married at the time, they were just newly married, were in the hospital room when they prayed the prayer, and they saw Wilbur the next day. And my mom said, I've got to know more about this. And one year later, my mom and dad were baptized in the name of Jesus in the McKenzie River while it was snowing, and the rest is history. But there were 40 people that came to God through that one miracle. 40 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they were driving 50 miles one way to church from this little tiny town of 485 people. And Pastor Swank said, you guys need your own church. But they were all new converts. This is blow your mind. The pastor's wife didn't even have the Holy Ghost when they started the church. She got the Holy Ghost after the church started. But from that, uh, my dad ended up becoming the pastor there in the late 80s. I think it was 1988. And uh, God raised up a church in that town. That town still runs about 500 people. There's still an apostolic church there. But that's my upbringing. So I went from there. I told you all that to say. I went from there to Seattle. Lord have mercy. I near... I nearly ran my truck into a couple of trees a few times in traffic because I just couldn't take it. You see, I used to live 20 miles from my job, and it took me about 20 minutes to get there. I lived nine miles from my job, and some days it would take an hour and a half to two hours to get there. This country boy was not used to that. So all of that to say, I feel right at home in Muncie, Indiana. I'm glad to be here today. I feel like I'm going back to my roots a little bit. My wife and I currently, and our children currently reside in, in Merrillville, and we're there with Pastor Carpenter and, of course, uh, Matt and Marin Purdue. We love the Purdue family, and uh, we love and appreciate them very much, and uh, we've become fast friends. Uh, just a quick fact on that, I think, what, what's Brother Matt's birthday? October, so Brother, Brother Matt was born October 1st, October 4th, Okay. Brother Matt was born October 4th, 1980, and I was born October 14th, 1980. So we became fast friends right out of the gate. So uh, we love the Purdue's, and we're thankful that God has, has connected us. And it's been so great to get to know just the past few moments, uh, Pastor and Sister Purdue. And uh, we'll get to know them a little bit more today, but uh, what wonderful people of God. I tell you, I love and I enjoy meeting the, the people of God. And uh, such a beautiful family of God. You know, we... We would try to put things together and bring things together, but nobody can do it like God can do it. He connects us. He brings us together, and I'm so thankful for that today. Uh, I'm thankful for the hotel room. Thank you so much. The beautiful basket that was in there. You guys have treated us like we're royalty, and we're really not. We're just a bunch of country folk, so thank you for that. All right, I'm going to get into a, a Bible lesson here today, and uh, I'm, I'm going to take you to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. And uh, if it's all right, I'll probably wander around a little bit. I'm not going to stay up here. Uh, it's Bible class. That's, that's all right, right? It's Bible class. First Samuel chapter 20, and I want to read three verses there. 
And uh, I'll read them quickly, and then you can sit back down. 1 Samuel 20, 18, 20, 24, and 20, 25. Um, then Jonathan said to Samuel, or, or then Jonathan said to David in verse 18, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. Everybody say an empty seat. Verse 24. So David hid himself in the field when the new moon was come. The king sat down to meet. Verse 25. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. You can be seated. I want to I talk to you today about a little bit about David's life, but I want to I come at it from a little different angle, if that's okay. Because I, I think sometimes we, we, we see David, we see him as the mighty man of valor. We see him as the man after God's own heart. We see him as the giant slayer. We see him as all these things. But I think there's, there's a few other aspects to David's life that I, I think it, it bears us taking a look at, maybe paying a little bit more attention to. So uh, if, for those that are taking notes today, I want to look at three kind of three phases or three stages of David's life. I want to look at his, his shepherd life. That's the first phase. And it, kind of that shepherd life, his, if I could rephrase that, maybe his upbringing, his shepherd life, Uh, And his anointing, his selection, okay? That's phase one. The second phase of David's life was his fearless phase. Now, maybe you've never looked at David's life from that perspective, but David had this season of time in life where he was just completely fearless. And then there's this season of time that we read about in our scripture text today. That'd be the third and final phase, and that would be his, his fearful phase of life. Now, all of those things seem like they, 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 you know, those last two could seem almost like oxymorons. Because how could someone who was so fearless become so fearful? How could somebody who was so brave suddenly run in fear and, and live their life on the run in fear? But I, what, what I want to try to help with the, with the help of the Holy Ghost, what I want to try to relay today is that David in his fearful stage left his God-given place in the kingdom empty. God gave David that seat. David didn't select that seat. David didn't decide that that was his seat. But now that God-given seat was empty, and I, I, I fear today, and what we want to look at in this Bible lesson today, is that you and I, as believers, we have a seat in the kingdom of God. We have a God-given place in his kingdom. You have more than just a seat in a building. While that's great, we have a seat in the kingdom of God. We have a place in the kingdom of God. We have been called, we have been chosen, and I trust today that we have been found faithful. I didn't choose myself. I didn't didn't decide to do this. I didn't choose to stand here and hold the mic today. Your pastor didn't choose the calling that's on his life. God chose him, and he simply responded to it. But I'm concerned... And I've witnessed this in the body of Christ over the years. That there are many seats that remain empty in the kingdom. For a myriad of reasons. One of those reasons is fear. We'll look at another, we'll look at another one of those reasons today. We'll, we'll look at the life of, of, of Judas as well. Because he left his seat at the table empty as well. So just a little bit of history on David. You can write some of these down. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give them to you as facts here. Um, David was born in the year 2854, 
according to historians. And he was, he was born, and, and, and the scripture doesn't really uh, get into a lot of detail of this, but he was born into a very illustrious family. I mean, it, this, this was royalty. And I'll, I'll give you some, some kind of some facts to back that up. Um, his father, we know, his name was Jesse. The Bible doesn't tell us his mother's name, but it tells us that he had a mother because uh, David actually asked for protection for his mother. You'll find that later on in, in, the, in the book of the, the kings and the prophets. But we have Jesse, his father, that we know about. And, and we, start to look at his, um, we start to look at his lineage. We know that he was born in the era of the prophets. Uh, we know that he was only 10 generations removed from Judah. We know who Judah was. So 10 generations removed from Judah. And that his lineage, if you looked at his family tree, it included names like Boaz and Ruth. Those are important people, right? So David wasn't just an accident. Like, like he had a purpose. Do you believe that about yourself today? We're not, this is, we're not an accident. But, but when, you start to, when you start to look at David's life, when you start to really break this down, he's, he's, got this, uh, he's got this amazing lineage. His father, Jesse, if you study out Jesse's life, Jesse was the head of the Sanhedrin, which if you, if you want to put that in a modern-day sense, he would be like the, the, the leader of the Supreme Court of Torah law. So we have a Supreme Court today over the law of the land, but there was a Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin who kind of ruled over Torah law. They made rulings of whether someone had broken the Torah or how a law should be interpreted in the Torah, much like the Supreme Court does today. That was his father. Uh, his grandfather, Bo- Boaz, was one of the great Torah scholars of his time, if you go back and study that. Uh, David's grandmother, Ruth, she was a member of a Moabite royal family. I mean, this, this guy, God had a plan. David didn't just, poof, show up on the scene. You know, and I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you today, get, it, get in the Word of God and study. Don't, just don't, don't rely, don't make the man of God do all the study. You need to get in the Word of God and study some things, right? There's some truths that are in the Word of God, and, and the, the Word of God gives us amazing facts, but, but sometimes we read things, and, and I get concerned about this a lot, and I'm guilty of this, so guilty is charged, okay? I'm not saying something to you I haven't said to myself. We sometimes read the story of David, and we're like, poof, he shows up on the scene with Jesse and Samuel. And the... There's some history there. What is that history? Who was he? Where did he come from? Who was his mom? Who was his dad? I, I spent... Two minutes before we started this Bible yesterday, giving you a little bit of my history. I didn't just show up in Muncie, Indiana, appear on the scene in, you know, early November of 2023. Like, I got some history here, right? I won't get into this today, but go look up, go study Abraham's history. He didn't just appear in Genesis chapter 12, walk before me, come before me. Like, there was a history there. And, and we, we, we learn and we grow and we're, we, we are filled. We are completed when we study the Word of God and we begin to learn things about these, these people in the Word of God. So, um, David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. And, and while we don't get a ton of insight into his birth, um, it, it becomes very, uh, very apparent to us by 1 Samuel chapter 16 that David isn't highly regarded by his own family. Think about this. Just, just follow this here for a minute. Okay? 
Samuel comes to the house and says, I want to have a sacrifice. Everybody, all the brothers get invited except for David. David's got a job. You know, he's out taking care of sheep. Now, if you came to my house today, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you, if you came to my house today and said, I want to have dinner with you, and I want to have dinner with your, with your family, your whole family. I've got a little guy who's in the four-year-old Sunday school class right now. And I tell you what, there's no way that I'm going to tell him, you stay outside. We're all going to have dinner together. You wouldn't do that. But that's what they did. This, this was a momentous occasion. In fact, if you read the story, it was so momentous that, Je, that, that, that Samuel actually had to tell a story as to why he was there because the whole region was going to freak out. What is the prophet doing at Jesse's house? Just tell him I've come to sacrifice. I mean, this wasn't just like he was out in the neighborhood and just do, dropped by and like, oh, you're home. Hey, it's good to see you. How you been? No. He announced his coming. He showed up. And they didn't even invite David. I guess maybe if we talk about those three seasons of his life, we could add rejection to the first one. Right? I mean, we don't talk, these are the things we don't talk about typically in Bible class. He was a man after God's own heart. He slew a giant. No, he was rejected by his brothers and his own dad. Didn't even see him to value in him to invite him to a meeting with the priest. Let's talk about that David for a while. I've, I've identified with that David. I've never slain a giant <laughs> or slayed a giant. I've never killed a bear with my own hands. I've never killed a lion. I've never even actually seen a lion in the wild. I've seen him in the zoos. I've seen a few bears in the wild, hunted a few bears. I've probably been hunted by a few bears, truth be told. I don't identify with any of that, Pastor. But I do identify with rejection. I do identify with people not, not, not deeming me qualified to be sitting at the table. But, but get this picture. So they, they come here. They, they, they show up to this meeting. And he goes through them. He goes through the boys one by one. Oh, it's not that 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 one. Okay. Now all the boys are here. Everybody's there. They look at each other like, oh, man, surely it was going to be you. If it wasn't you, it was going to be you. And if it wasn't you, it had to be her. It wasn't you. And they went through all of them, all seven of them. Are there any more? Well, yeah, there's, there's one. There's one, but he's got, okay, nobody's going anywhere. Anybody ever had a moment where you felt like everything changed in your life? God reached into a situation and said, no, 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 hold on. This was David's moment. Life was going to change forever for him in this moment of time. Nobody's going anywhere until this boy's here. And then I want you to get, a, I love word pictures, okay? I want you to get this picture in your mind. Forgive me. I, I love to paint pictures with words, but you got all of these brothers, okay? Now, you can say, well, I haven't seen any scriptures where they didn't really like him. What about when he showed up to the battle? What did his brothers have to say about him then? Naughty boy, what are you doing out here? They didn't see a lot of value in David. But, but so get this picture here. Come, come here, Parker, come help me. I can pick on him. So he's got all these brothers standing around. Here he walks into the room. They're all looking at him like, surely, about that side, surely this is not the one. 
And then in the midst of all of those who saw no value in him, in the middle of all of those who didn't pick him, didn't call him to that encounter, it was that in that moment, if you can see that in your mind's eye, that the priest grabs that horn of oil and pours it over him. In front of all of those people who said, ah, go sit down. That was the moment that he was in. That was David's life. This was his calling. This, was, this is that first phase of his life, that the, this dynamic calling that, that, that God placed upon him and this anointing that happened. This is where he's at, okay? So let's go on. Let's go to, let's go to the next phase. Let's go to the fearless David. 1 Samuel 17, 34, for those taking notes. 1 Samuel 17, 34. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Verse 36 said, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. I don't, I, I, no, I love the camp. I'm an outdoorsman. I've hunted ever since I was my son's age. My son just turned nine. I've hunted ever since I was his age, maybe a little younger. Been in the woods, been in the wilderness areas of the Northwest. I've been in the Eagle Cap wilderness. I've been in the Three Sisters wilderness. I've hunted elk in, in remote areas, roadless areas. But I'll tell you what. I've never, I, I still, I sleep in fear every night. I don't sleep a lot during elk camp because I don't like bears. I'm a grown man. I don't like bears. In fact, I don't, I refuse to camp in East Tennessee because I hear there's bears there. A lot of bears. I see pictures of bears in towns. I'm like, nope, not sleeping in a tent while that thing's right outside. My uncles told me stories when I was a kid about fishing, fishing at these, these mountain lakes catching these kokanee and how, just how amazing it was and trout fishing these lakes. And like, you know, and at night we'd hear something rustle around. We'd peek our head out of the tent and there was a, a bear stealing a watermelon out of the cooler. I'm like, no, -uh, I'm, I'm going home. End of story. Dave, if I see a bear, regardless of what they tell me, I'm running. I'm going the other way. Now, I'm not a scaredy cat. I'm not, I'm not fearful, but I just, I, I respect them. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I respect them. They're bigger than I am. They have bigger fingernails than I have, and they have way bigger teeth than I have. And I may have watched too many documentaries about those people who hang out in Alaska with the Grizzlies and get mauled to death, okay? I just, can we admit that? But this kid, this kid's fearless. This bear comes into his, his sheepfold to try to steal, steal a sheep. He goes, yeah, I just, I mean, I just went over there and just grabbed him and... Then a lion comes. He said, yeah, and this lion came in, and I, he, he, had a, he had a sheep in his mouth, and I just, you know, ripped the mouth apart, got the sheep out, grabbed him by the beard, and slew him with my hands. I mean, fearless. Fearless. And then you get, go a little further in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. There goes out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He's almost 10 feet tall. About nine-something, nine-something feet. Let's just call him 10 foot tall. He's 10 foot tall. 
Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Grown men, warriors, trained warriors with, with armor and with weapons and with shields, grown men were scared out of their minds, hiding behind rocks. Goliath had been taunting them. Here comes this boy. Is somebody going to fight this guy? Just fearless. Not an ounce of fear in his body. I might or might not be still scared of the dark, 43 years old. Fearless. If you think about his, if you think about his encounter with Goliath, they're in this, you got, you got the Philistines on one hillside, you got the, the people of God, Israel, on the other hillside, you got this valley in between. And this giant is, is daring somebody, meet me in the valley and fight me. And I, I read a very interesting book. Uh, the, the title of the book is actually called David and Goliath. And, and there were some interesting theories. He, the writer just did a good job, did a lot of research and, and talking about Goliath, who he was and who David was. And he had a lot of, he, he tried to bring a non-biblical perspective to, yeah, I mean, David, David was amazing, right? We all know that. He was amazing. God worked through him. God did a marvelous work through David. And he brought out a lot of interesting things. But the one thing that he never addressed that really stuck out to me as I read the book was how fearless David was. We know that Saul tried to give him his armor. Not interested. He goes out there with no weapon save his sling. Meets this dude who's like probably five feet taller than he is. Maybe, let's say he was six foot tall. I'm about six foot tall. Maybe he was four foot taller than he was. His, his armor weighed hundreds of pounds. And he just walks out there fearlessly like, are you ready to go? going to do this thing? Are, are, you, are you getting this picture? This is a season of fearlessness in his life. Everything's, everything's going his way. Uh, David was a, a, a man of war, 1 Samuel 18 and 6. And it came to pass when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tablets with joy with, with instruments of music. I mean, this, this guy is, he's amazing. Jump down to verse 27 of 1 Samuel 18. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines 200 men. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, to wife. I mean, this dude is fearless. He's just like wreaking havoc among all of Israel's enemies. This is a man's man. This is a fighter. This is a dude nobody's messing with on the playground. Right? Don't pick on David. The D-boy. Don't, don't pick on the D-boy. D-dog. That's what they call him. D-dog. Don't pick on D-dog. He'll mess you up. He's not afraid of anybody. That's David's life. Write this down. 1 Samuel 18, 12. This, this is one of my favorite scriptures about David. And Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of it because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Go to verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he, Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. 
Oh, he does it again. 1 Samuel 18, 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became enemy, David's enemies continually. Not only was David fearless, but everyone around him feared him. So we got two seasons now, two different phases of David's life. We've talked about the first phase, which was the phase where he was anointed, called by God, selected, his selection, his shepherding days. Now we've looked at his fearless days. Now let's look at the fearful David. So I, I wrote some things down here. I'm going to read these to you real quick because these just these amaze me. Think about this. Let's let these sink in. He stole a sheep from a lion's mouth but wouldn't sit at a table with Saul and share a meal. He killed a bear with his bare hands, but chose to leave his God-given seat at the table empty because he was afraid of the guy who was afraid of him. We read that in 1 Samuel 18. He said, Saul feared him. Three different times in 1 Samuel 18, he says that he feared him. I find it interesting that, that twice the scripture says David left his seat empty, but three times it says that Saul was afraid of David. So he kills a lion, kills a bear, but is afraid of a guy that's afraid of him. Write this down. You, you know this. David must have forgotten his own words in Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Wait. Yeah, David, God gave you that seat. The day that you stood in front of your brothers and that horn of oil was poured upon your head, that was your seat. That was, God gave you that seat. You didn't step on people to get to that seat. You didn't work your way up the corporate ladder to get to that seat. You didn't do enough kissing up to get to that seat. You didn't buy enough tickets in heaven. You didn't pray enough hours a day to get. No, God selected you. He sent Samuel to your house. Had you called out of a sheep field and had you anointed with a horn of oil. He gave you that seat. He was fearless in facing Goliath, yet fearful in sitting across the table. Willing to, willing to go to whatever length possible, but, but fearful to even share a simple meal. But let's, let's go to 1 Samuel 19. You can write this down. 1 Samuel 19 and 2. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. Jump down to verse 12. So 1 Samuel 19, 12, for those that are taking notes. 1 Samuel 19, 12. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1. And David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity, and what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? 1 Samuel chapter 21 in verse 1. 
Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with you? Now the fearful David is lying. The fearful David is telling stories. Why? Why? Why are you acting this way? God's given you a place in his kingdom. God selected you. Walk in your authority, David. Walk in your place, David. He's lying to the priest. He says, oh, the king, verse, uh, 1 Samuel 21, 2. David said unto him, elect the priest, the king hath commanded me a business and has said unto thee, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Think about this. Just, just think about this. He faces what the scripture describes to us as one of the, the tallest, greatest warriors in the Old Testament, Goliath. His stature, his armor, and all that stuff. And Saul tries to give him a sword and a spear and all these things. And he says, I don't want any of that. And he used these words to Goliath. You come at me. You come at me with a sword and a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. Right? That was what David said. That was fearless, David. That was David saying, boy, how I have church in here this morning, adult Sunday school class. Don't mess with me because you don't know whose name I'm coming in. You're coming to me in the flesh. You're coming to me as a man of war, but I'm coming to you as a man of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, all of which are under the authority of the name of Jesus. Come on, settle down. We're in adult Sunday school class. We can't do that. So that same guy, is running from Saul, who was also too afraid to go stand in front of Goliath. And now he's the same guy who said, you came to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He's now saying, you got your swords around here. I need a sword. How ironic is it that the sword that he gave him was the sword that caused Goliath to be defeated. Goliath trusted in that sword. And it cost him his life. David trusted in the Lord. And it made him victorious. And now he's asking, can I get a sword? Can I get a sword? Am I the only one that just seems very ironic to? He spent all this time trusting in the name of the Lord. He would write things like, some trust in horses. Some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He got a sword. Should preach a message. Do you got a sword? First Samuel twenty one and eight. For all those taking notes, I don't want to. I want you to have these. You can go home and read them. Just that's great homework. First Samuel sixteen through First Samuel twenty one. Go home and read that in its entirety. Read it a few times and just just see if anything new jumps out to you about the life of David. This whole story, I I read this, I took some time earlier this year, and I read through the book of 1 Samuel chapter by chapter. Every day I only read one chapter. I didn't want to read two, I didn't want to rush ahead and read three. I read one chapter every single day, and it blew my mind the things that that, that started to reveal themselves to me that I've, I've been in church my whole life. 
and I hadn't seen them before. Things about David that I felt like God began to show me that I hadn't seen before. Get in the Word. Dig into the Word. Let the Word of God talk to you. God wants to talk to you. Couple that digging in the Word with prayer and see what God won't reveal to you. See what He won't show you. This, this book is alive. It's just as alive today as it was the day He inspired it. I, I was just listening to something on the way up here. They were talking about Eating this book. You know, uh, Ezekiel said, eat this book. John, the revelator, was told, eat this book. Eat it. Get hungry for it. Come on, let it talk to you every single day. We go to so many other mediums and so many other things that, to find answers, but God has given us the answers to life in this book. This is his roadmap. If you want to know what his voice sounds like, start reading it right here. If you think you're hearing from God, go check that voice against what's written in here. And let this be the test. He'll tell you. He'll talk to you. He'll tell you. He'll talk to you. All right. We got just a few minutes. We got to hurry. We got to hurry. We got to hurry. See, fear is a, fear is a crippling emotion. It's crippling. People refer to, and I, I don't have time to tell you the story. You can ask my wife after church. My wife and I went on a hiking trip back in 2021 in Arizona. And my wife became crippled, frozen in fear on the side of a mountain. I thought we were going to have to life flight her off there. That's how bad it was. God gave her the grace and she got off. But I've watched fear paralyze people. I worked with a man for about six years, very brilliant man, graduated from Oregon State University. And he came to me one day and he said, he didn't say a whole lot. He was a pretty quiet guy. And he came to me one day. He called me Junior. He said, Junior! I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you talk in front of people. He said, I, it took me five years to get my four-year degree because I had to stay an extra year to do the speech class because I refused to get up in front of the class and give a speech. Now, to me, that's just, that's almost funny. I, I, I've been in front of people. My parents, because we were a small church, we sold fireworks. I don't know if you ever sold fireworks right here. We sold fireworks. My dad threw me in a fireworks booth when I was about four or five years old. I started talking to people across the counter, started selling fireworks. By the time I was Parker's age, I was, I was trying to count change back to people that didn't know what I was doing. But I, I just have always been in front of people. I've always talked. And so to think that somebody is so fearful of standing up in front of somebody and saying, But that's what fear does to people. And fear keeps us. Fear keeps us from reaching our potential in the kingdom of God. Fear keeps us from sitting at our God-given table at the seat, the seat in the God-given table in his kingdom. You have one. Fear causes us to hide. Fear keeps us from stepping out into the unknown. I don't believe it's an accident that God told us in his word that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Listen to that. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if David was running in fear, it wasn't from God. God. God didn't have that. God didn't give him that spirit. God gave him the fearlessness. It was the spirit of God that caused him to stand up in front of a giant. It was the spirit of God that caused him to face a lion and a bear. Let's write this down. Second, second Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament. David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies. So David wrote a song about this after the fact. 2 Samuel 22, he writes a song about all this. He says, and the Lord delivered me out of the hand of all my enemies. I don't know what it sounded like, but that's just my version. And out of the hand of Saul. 
When the waves of death come past me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. He admits it. I let fear overtake me. If God had the ability after all the running to deliver him from Saul, why didn't God have the ability to keep him across the dinner table from Saul? If God made a, did a miracle for you two years ago, if God did a miracle for you two days ago, what keeps him from doing a miracle for you today? If God is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever, then why do I fear today about the same thing he delivered me out of yesterday? Oh, we're so afraid about how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Has he ever failed you yet? He never failed me. He never failed me. All right. There's a, there was a, a dinner table. We got, we got two minutes. Write this down. Matthew 26, 17 through 21. This is a dinner table. In the New Testament, it's called the Passover. We call it the Last Supper. Thirteen seats at the table. Twelve men and Jesus sitting there. Boy, if you had a ticket to that dinner, my goodness. I've had some. I've been in some dinners. My my career has allowed me to sit across from men who were billionaires, men who were CEOs of multi-billion-dollar companies, and I sat there scared to death. I said, whoa, 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 "What made you successful?" I've been there. But none of that compares to having a table at that supper. Like, listen to this. Listen to this. Luke 22 and 3. Write that down. Then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot, being of the number of twelve. John said it this way, he then having received sop went immediately out and it was night. He at one time was sitting at that table eating. And in a moment of time he got up from that table, Sister Purdue, and he left. So I propose to you as we wrap up the Sunday school lesson this morning. That yes, there are people who never sit in that seat. They never fulfill that seat. They have a God-given seat in the kingdom that they don't sit at. It remains empty. But I'm sure each of us today could think of individuals, there are names and faces that come to our mind, who once sat at the seat of the table in the kingdom of God. But for one reason or another, the Bible said that Satan entered into Judas's heart, and he began to talk to him. Yeah, pastor doesn't really love you. He didn't shake your hand last week. Where was he at? That sister, she didn't love you either. And next thing you know, the Bible said that he ate, and he got up. And he left, and he left a seat empty. He chose to walk away from his place, God-given place in the kingdom of God. And we find at the end of the story that he was, he was sorrowful about that. I think, Pastor, at some point Judas realized, I missed it. I missed it, and he went back and tried to make it right, and it was too late. Now, I, I want to add this as we close. You can stand. The Bible tells us that he went back to the same men who gave him the money when he left the dinner that night. He got up from that seat. He left and he went to those men. He went to those chief priests and elders and they gave him money to betray Jesus. He led him to the garden. You know the story. But when he realized in that moment 
I left a seat. I want that seat back. There are people in Muncie. There are people in these surrounding counties and communities. I drove through them last night on the way here. They have seats in this building. Hear me today in the Holy Ghost. There's coming a day, and it's happening. I'm seeing it all over the place. I've prayed more people through the Bible st- in, in Bible studies to the Holy Ghost in the last couple of weeks than I have in my entire 43 years of life. I had a, I had a man in Bible study a couple weeks ago. He said, he stopped me in the middle of the Bible study. He said, does this war stuff mean Jesus is coming back? I said, I, I, I'm not a prophecy guy. I, I don't know, but I do know this. There is going to be a war someday that signals this is it. He said, he looked at me, he said, how do I get right with God? I said, well, have you ever been baptized in Jesus' name? He said, well, a couple years ago. I said, did you ever receive the Holy Ghost? He said, no. I said, well, if you want to make sure you're right before you leave Bible study tonight, you can receive the Holy Ghost before you do that. By the end of Bible study, he stood in global grounds with his hands raised, and God gloriously filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he went home that night knowing he was in right standing with God. I'm telling you, it's happening all over the place. There are people who know they have a seat in the kingdom of God. They got a seat at the table, and they've walked away from it. But they feel the drawing of the Holy Ghost back to it. And here's our job right now. Don't be the chief priest and elders and say, well, we ain't dealing with that. We remember how you left here. I wrote a note to myself a couple days ago. I wondered, I wondered if the story of Jesus would have not ended in tragedy and suicide if the chief priest and elders just would have taken his money back and said, yeah, we, that was wrong. But the spiritual leaders in his life threw the money down and said, well, we don't want anything to do with you. We don't want that on our hand. We don't want that money back in the temple treasury. You just knew what he did was wrong. He knew he left his seat, but he wanted it back. It's our job. It's our job to help those that have left their seat at the table to find a place of repentance and say, oh, God. Oh, God, create in them a clean heart. You hear their cry of repentance, renew in them a right spirit, God. Oh, would you do that right now? Would you call out the names of individuals? While, while I've been teaching this, I'm sure there are names and faces that have come to your mind. The Holy Ghost 